Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan, and joining me today is Chrissy. Hello. And Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. In alphabetical order this morning. <laughs> um, well, first of all, yes, your ears are not deceiving you. We are recording another episode, uh, which presumably you are listening to, which means that we did edit it and get it out to you. Um, so I suppose I should apologise for the fact that it's been quite a while since we've put an episode out. I'm sure it's my fault somehow. No comment. Uh-huh. There we go. <laughs> but it was Christmas and New Year. It was Christmas and New well, Year. Well, I, I think the delay in the last one was really actually my fault. There we go. But... Okay, Craig, you can take the blame then. Absolutely. Anyway. That's all. We've apologised. Get over it. Yeah, move on. Um, stop complaining about it. But we're going to be um, good this year, and we are. We're going to we're going to set up a schedule. I probably, should, probably shouldn't tell you that, should I? <laughs> Never mind. We'll we'll try and get more out on a more regular basis. Let us know how we get on. The notice board. We have one item on the notice board. Ben Goldacre is coming to New Zealand for the Auckland Readers and Writers Fest Festival. And it says Think TED Talks. Does that mean Think TED or Think TED Talks? think ted talks so i met with the um the person who's running the auckland readers and writers festival because i got very excited to hear that ben goldacre was coming and i asked him if, in fact i asked him whether he would be willing to do an auckland skeptics in the pub and he was very willing but um said i had to clear it with the uh, the festival people and they said no ah. um so uh and in fact, so I met with the lady to talk about just the festival in general, and she wanted to know a little bit more about the kind of people who listen to our podcast and stuff. Um, and she was really disappointed that the, 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 the kind of people who go to the festival are mostly older women. And actually, they've got a ton people of things. People have time to read. Yeah. Well, no, but they, so she well, said she People have she'd time been, to go to festivals. Well, yeah, but some of the talks are in the evenings and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And she had been to a couple of TED Talks and she just thought this is ridiculous and, and most of the audience for the TED Talks are younger men yeah. and she said a lot of the talks that they have at the festival are like TED Talks and so why are, are younger men not coming to the festival um, so the tickets are going to be something like I think they're about 20 bucks um, if you buy them uh, really close to the time they're 15 if you buy them um, earlier and you can get them cheaper by buying for by buying them in, in bulk and so there's all sorts of ways mm -hmm. that you can get there and so she's really keen on um, having people at the festival who will attract different audience to their core audience uh, which is one mm. of the reasons so how why do they she actually, what, how do they how would they choose being at Goldock? well they chose him because he's just had a book out called Bad Farmer which right. is an awesome book which I suggest everybody reads and is actually probably going to give us a huge amount of trouble or us being those people in um, the medical kind of field who are being harassed or who, who harass alternative medicine um, and um, and we all know bad pharma is bad um, but my god I had no idea how bad until I read Ben's book and it's just scary anyway so they're looking to get more audience members to attract more audience members or more speakers to attract more well speakers that speakers. will attract I mean yeah. she wants to know how you know she's got Ben Goldacre coming and she'd like people who are interested you know who would come to see him in skeptics in the pub to go and see him at the i see what you instead. mean i was going to say because the where is it where is it so it's going to be in auckland i um i think at the arteo center and it is uh, the um jeez you butchered that word but where, where is it <laughs> where, where's it our tea center what's it called our tea <laughs> goodness sake jolly me don't i still have a pass for being a foreigner no, no. You've been here too long. <laughs> I have not. Um, we put a limit on it. <laughs> he's going to be here sort of the weekend of the 17th, 18th, 19th of May. I believe his talk will be on Friday the 17th of May at about 5 o'clock, I think. Right. I have heard rumours so, of. What I was going to say is if she wants more people to come to the Writers Festival talk, why doesn't she let Ben come and do a Skeptics in the Pub just before and then say hey come and see me at the proper no, talk because she thinks people will come to the skeptics and won't, go, won't to go to her thing yeah. so that is not an option okay um so anyway i'm excited Good. except i'll be in denver probably oh. so i'm not mm. sure why I'm we'll tell you so how awesome it was when you come back yeah <laughs> okay so everyone keep an eye out for that and we will remind you closer to the time assuming we get a few more episodes out i mean one of, then. one of the things and we the, remember yeah 
one of the things the festival does is you can buy this pass that for 150 bucks you go to 10 talks and what they're doing this year is you can buy the pass but instead of going to 10 talks you can take you know you can you have 10 tickets so you could either have 10 people go to the same talk or you could have you know three people go to whatever yeah. so they're trying to make it much more flexible to make the ch- ch- um, tickets cheaper right so. hmm. and it's not a huge amount of money to go and see somebody as awesome as ben goldacre it is not frankly indeed if you can get to <clears throat> Auckland. oh and so he's being the part of the trip is being sponsored by the royal society so he will also be talking in wellington and christchurch i believe and i will keep you posted with the dates of those cool hmm. So, because at the last Readers and Writers Festival, we had Lawrence Krauss. Yes. And so... He got a good audience. I'm sure that wasn't just old ladies. No, he did. No, no, that was a good audience. And he actually did two talks. Mm. And the the first one, I think, you had to pay for it. The second one, I think, was free. But they had... um, They obviously choose somebody to interview him from the local community. And um, so... It's a shame you're going to be in Denver because you'll be the ideal person from the local community to talk to Ben Goldacre about. I think they've um, already got somebody in mind. Well, I think we'll cancel her trip to Denver. So I want you to let Graham know as well, Graham Hill, because he'll want to talk to Mm. Ben. Mm -hmm. Um, So moving on then to news. The first news item is Turkey's Science State Council halts publication of Evolution Book. Susie. That's exactly what has happened. Right, so the cool. Scientific... So moving on to the next. Oh, wait, sorry. The Scientific and Technical Research Council of Turkey has put a stop to the publication sale of books that support the theory of evolution. Um, so books that are they're essentially being labelled as out of stock. Uh, Richard Dawkins, Stephen Jay Gould, um, James Watson. They're all included on the list that are not going to be available. As in, as in Watson and Crick? Yes. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So what is this state council? It's, it's oh, Scientific and Technical Research Council of Turkey. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I'm confused. Why, um, why are they doing this? It is the main body responsible for organizing research and development activities in Turkey. All That's right. scary. Well, so much for Turkey then. Mm. Good luck with that. Yeah. Turkey always appears on that graph of the... Uh, the level of belief in creationism and religious uh, religious attitudes is just just only the only country, only major country worse than the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> now, not our earlier conversation, notwithstanding, I will cut this out if it's, if I'm wrong. But is Turkey mostly Muslim country, or predominantly Muslim? Uh, I think so. Yeah. No one else is willing to commit either. Okay, hang on. What what does Wikipedia say? Turkey is a secular state with no official state religion. Okay. Uh, However. Islam (laughs) is the dominant religion. Yeah. Exceeding 99%. Research firms suggest the actual Muslim figure is around 98 or 97%. Oh, that's that's much better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad they got that right. Yeah. Um, they've got accuracy counts less than 0.2% of Christians and about 26,000 Jewish people. Wow, mm. doesn't say anybody. I wonder if um, Turkey features on the atheist census. Um. Oh, we haven't told everybody about that. We should. Should we mention that now? Yes, go on. The atheist census is a, an initiative that's being conducted by the again, I'm going to edit myself if I'm wrong, the Atheist Alliance. International? Yes. yes. Well, it's, it's, I think it's actually run mainly by an Australian woman. Okay. Um, well, the exact details don't matter Chris, that much. No, sure, sure. The but idea it is close is... to New Zealand. Okay, yes. fair enough. <laughs> the um, Australia's not close Good to New point. Zealand. Only, <laughs> only incidentally. Um, so the idea is you go on and you sign up and they're just trying to count atheists and oh. where they live and so forth. What are we up to? Turkey Susan? has oh, got... Turkey? 10,384. Okay. What is the population of Turkey? <laughs> Out of, yeah. Okay. Population of Turkey is... be nice to be able to say that they have, all hope is not lost for Turkey, but still. Uh, 67 million. So not very That many was in then. 2000. In 10,000 10, atheists. No. <laughs> oh, in 2011, it was 74.7 million. There we go. What's the total number at the moment? 
on uh, the census. About 169,000 people have identified as atheists and filled in the atheist census. Nice. And really quickly, Craig, what is the address? Okay, so it's atheistcensus.com. Right, Susie. The UK has only got 11,927 people have signed up. Wow. Okay, so all our UK listeners... <laughs> there's many of them of you. I'm sure there's at least one let us know by the way if you are listening in another country um, go and well, sign up for the atheist census we'll see who can do crazy. the best New Zealand only has 1147 oh but, right. but obviously yeah. there's so, people who there may well uh, there are probably lots of atheists out there who are unaware of the census exactly, exactly. so yes. we're advertising it now yes. that's a return to their for all our atheist town. listeners Not. eight in Mongolia Way, way you go, way you go. Is that inner or outer? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> okay, let's move on, shall we? Yeah. Atheist census. Check it out and pass the link around to all your friends, and let's see if we can get the numbers up and uh, a bit more representative. Because we want to maybe. beat Britain, don't we, Nathan? Oh, not particularly. Be nice no, to meet maybe get Australia, though. Of course. Have the numbers for Australia? Eight thousand two hundred and seventy-four. Yes. So a little bit more. We need a few That's more. Right. A little bit more. So yeah. the next news item is random Vizinski news. Craig, do we need to do a background on who Stanislaw Vizinski is, or is everyone going to know that? Well, Quack. I, well, I, th I think most people are probably aware who who he is, but he he runs a he runs a cancer treatment clinic in uh, Houston, Texas, uh, and he has this treatment which is something called neo anti-neoplastins he didn't do the square the square quotes the scare quotes but i'm going to do them all oh, right okay okay yes there's a square quote scare quotes around <laughs> around that yes carry on okay so he has this um treatment which is essentially just a, a scam so he charges cancer patients Hundreds um, of a thousands. Lot of, a lot of money to go along to what is purportedly a... The trial. A, uh, a trial. What do they call them? A clinical trial. Clinical trial, trial. yes. Um, and this has been running for 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, two news items have anyway, come up recently. Uh, so, this, yes. So, there's two... So, firstly, there's a group of sceptics who are um, raising money trying to raise $30,000 um, to fight childhood cancer and they are doing this um, to benefit St Jude's Children's Research Hospital and they essentially have challenged Stanislaw Brzezinski to also uh, to match, match the, the $30,000 yeah. as a publicity stunt essentially. So 30000 is relevant because that's how much it takes to enter one of um, Brzezinski's clinical trials. Is that right? Is that the... That's to enter. To enter, and then you pay for the pay stuff for on top. I was going to say, I yeah. thought it was a lot more than that. Yeah. Wow, yeah. thirty thousand just to enter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So normally people don't get charged to go on clinical trials. No. In fact, more are likely that they get some sort of petrol vouchers or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, he is now trying to sue some of his own patients because his, one of his patients um, have put up a website called uh, BrzinskiScam.com. And um, this this website is quite interesting in that their main complaint about uh, the Brzezinski Clinic is actually how much money it costs them. There's no actual um, detail on the yeah. site, really, except in the comments about that it's actually bogus treatment. Indeed. Um, so that's kind of kind of weird, really. Um, but if you have a look around the site, the funny thing is is they've got a, a section called "What are we doing now?" and um, and they go into a whole lot of sort of alternative belief kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Shows they they haven't they're, they're actually not really sceptics. They're just pissed off that they had to pay a lot of money for this treatment that didn't work, and um, they're going and doing a whole bunch of other weird things as well. But one of the things that Bazinski does is he um, so not only does he offer his neo anti neoplastins, but he also offers regular chemotherapy. But mm. they have a throw the kitchen sink approach at it so they basically just give loads of different chemotherapy drugs but he also has um a pharmacy who dispense who you buy your drugs from 
um, and they charge more than other places pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, for those same, for drugs. same drugs. So they charge more for the same drugs. Hmm. So that, I guess, is what they're Yeah, well, the one thing we're saying here is... As opposed to it actually being a scam. One, one, one of the drugs that um, they got charged for was $2,300, whereas they could have purchased the same drug at a regular pharmacy for $170. Yeah, that's hmm. because Brzezinski owns the pharmacy as well. Yeah. And he lives in a $6 million home. Hmm. With gold-plated gate. Really? Wow. Yeah. Why? Why would you? Never mind. Okay. Anyway, so this site is a little weird. So some <laughs> of the things they are uh, suggesting is uh, we research articles from reportable sites. We stayed away from junk sites. I think they might mean reputable sites. <laughs> ah, right. Um, we cut out all red meat and pork, and instead we choose wild fish and organic chicken. Um, we prefer fresh over frozen, frozen over canned. We use foods and pouches instead of cans if possible. Yeah, and they don't cook yeah. with so, Teflon frying pans yeah, and they filter yeah. all their water. They don't use the microwave. And they smoke cigarettes and, and drink alcohol. They don't use the microwave, they just don't use plastic in the microwave. Because um, yeah. all oh, plastic in the microwave is bad, apparently. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And they, they tell you to throw away anything with a six or a seven on the bottom of your, of your plastic containers because apparently they're evil too. Oh, right. I don't even know what that evil. is. Evil. Well, possibly they have BPAs in them. That's it, BPAs. Mm. Well, there may be some some truth in that. Mm. Anyway, but no. yeah, so so um, yeah, so he's trying to get this scam site shut down um, by surprisingly enough sending them threatening letters. Yeah, exactly. Threatening to sue them. Nasty grams, as they're called, apparently. Indeed. Mm. Should we call Bazinski grams? <laughs> I'm gonna try and make that a thing. So yeah. Bazinski again. Not still hasn't um, figured out to keep his goddamn mouth shut. No, stay out so, of so at, at the moment that um, fundraising campaign is currently about just over eleven thousand um, dollars. Um, do we have a URL for that? An easy URL or not? Okay, so this yep. is um, crowdrise.com/slash/fight-childhood-cancer. Easy enough. Or you can Google donate Pazinski St Jude's Hospital or something like that. Probably would come up. Probably would. Mm. So, moving on then to the next article, which is oh, this one. This is me, <laughs> and it is vaccination activist quits role as leader. And no points for guessing who the anti-vaccination anti-vaccination activist is. Um, so there's, there's an interesting point on that. When the article was first in the news, it was vaccination activist quits role as leader. And in fact, that's the URL. But then people complained about that and they changed the heading of the article to anti-vaccination activist quits ah, role as leader. Right. I didn't notice that. <clears throat> anti-vaccination activist. Uh, it is, of course, Meryl Dory, uh, the president of the controversial controversial Australian Vaccination Network um, although they were ordered to change their name at one stage fairly recently does anyone remember that what was it and well they, they, they have been to... ordered to change their name and they reckon they're not going to but oh okay that um, they have to change their name so I wonder how that is going that's interesting so they were the Australian Vaccination Network um, better known as the Australian Anti-Vaccination Network Meryl Dory was the president, um, and she's just stepped down from her role at the same time as the network announced it would stop publishing its newsletter. And the reason that that's interesting is because Meryl Dory has been being has been being paid money. Is that all right? Has been paid. No, she's was she paid. was paid up until up until recently uh, to publish the newsletter but has not published the newsletter for at least a while. I don't know how many... Um, so who was being who was she being paid by? By the AVN. Oh, right. Okay. They were paying her to produce the newsletter. So she was actually receiving, I guess you'd call it a salary. Um, Can we get somebody to pay us for producing the podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you think about that. Um, at least two of the groups I'm involved with have a newsletter of some sort. And in neither of those cases does the editor get paid. Skeptics, for one. I know David does that still, doesn't he? It's a mm -hmm. way of it's a way of distributing money Without. to her 
to make it seem legitimate. Yeah. So she's been basically taking money, not doing any work for it, and now she's stepping down for uh, no apparent reason. Although, uh, to be fair, the fact that she hasn't been producing a newsletter is a good thing. Very, very, very good point. <laughs> so actually, yes. maybe we should pay her not to produce one. <laughs> yes, yes. The AVN said it would discontinue its newsletter, Living Wisdom, due to the extraordinary pressures placed on us by both the government and those organisations whose goal it is to shut our group down. So congratulations, everybody, on that one. Goal achieved. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens to the AVN without their um, charismatic leader. In scare quotes. Is she? I don't know. Um, maybe it's winding down. Maybe someone else will take over. Who knows? We'll uh, keep you up to date. Hmm. And that is all of our news items. And we're moving on to. I forgot to give you my story about. Um... Do you have another story? Susie has another story. Oh. Wasn't in the agenda. Yeah, no. no are we allowed to add it on now? Are we? She's got a secret <laughs> hidden agenda. <laughs> I thought we're only allowed to do so many stories. Yeah. It's each. about cheating. <gasps> God. What sort of cheating? She's yeah, cheated by the way. Look at me when you say that. Yeah, is it school exams or? <laughs> well, you okay, might be interested to know that cheating, cheating is not limited to humans, animals, and plants. What? Because they've just found that. Fungus. Algae. Ah. Can do it too. Cheats. Right. Fungus cheats. Algae cheats. Algae. Algae, single-celled algae. So what you're saying is, if you give an algae a math test, <laughs> it will cheat. It will cheat and look up the answers. No, no. no. <laughs> so um, algae produce toxins right. to protect themselves from other species of algae that you know, will compete with them. Right? Seems fair. But there are within a population of algae or this particular species of algae, which I'm not going to try and pronounce, they found cheetahs who don't produce the toxin but benefit from the fact that everyone around them, their neighbours, are producing the toxin. Is this like herd, herd toxicity? Ah, herd toxicity, well done. <laughs> um, they're free riders. But is that cheating or just laziness? Well, well, yeah, yes. Cheating is, I don't know if it's the word I would use for that. It's the word that the um, evolutionary yeah. biologists use. Okay. And there are lots of examples of this. And um, now they've found right. that algae do it too. Presumably, like presumably this is going to be a, a, a self-limiting characteristic of a population because if everybody cheated, then nobody <laughs> would nobody uh, have the toxicity. Yeah. So, yeah. so well, game, it, game it, theory it, comes in here. Exactly, it's game theory. So it goes uh, up and then yeah. goes down again and then goes up and, and, and it will settle out to a particular... Um, particular level of uh, percentage of the population yeah. that actually cheats that sounds right mm. oh, interesting. I just well interesting. interesting thank you okay so then moving on to New Zealand if there's no objections okay yeah. first item in New Zealand is Chrissy with the latest uh, what's what I'm looking for health care phenomena for skin care Tell us about snails. Yes, well, here I was, as you do on a Saturday, watching TV, no, listening to, and I came across this snail slime called Saltone, was the marketing thing. And um, I, I was quite intrigued by this because they said that snails, these Chilean farmers, these skin farmers, uh, the snail farmers, their skin is really lovely. Right. So then they decided, somebody decided to make some cream out of it. So what they're saying is snail slime becomes the latest beauty must-have as mollusk mucus is touted as to clear acne, heal scars, beat wrinkles, get rid of stretch marks, scars, make you look beautiful, in fact. Um, so basically everything. Everything. It will make you look just... I, I had snails all over my body yesterday, and don't I look beautiful gorgeous. today? Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh. You haven't aged a day since last week. No, one whole day, <laughs> I know. I think I look great. But, yeah, so what they're saying is that, you know, men and women will do anything, and now we're putting snails on our face and body. Um, in the advert that I watched yesterday, there was a bodybuilder, and because he'd got bigger with bodybuilding, he'd got stretch marks. marks. Right. So he was putting all this cream on and putting it on, and they showed you before and after, and all his 
they guarantee that uh, there's no Photoshop involved. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And everything that was, uh, you know, the before and after shots showed that um, you can cover a lot of stuff with makeup. Yeah. You know why that is incredibly hilarious is because Penn and Teller did a bullshit episode on, I think it was, it was beauty or, you know, skincare and things like that, you know. Something that you're very anti, interested anti, in. Anti, anti-age, anti-aging and that yeah. sort of thing. I think that was, that's what the episode was about. Be. And one of the, they do these little bullshit tests where they go out into the mall and they harass people and make them wear a big coat covered in magnets, for example. And one of the things that they did was they got a jar full of snails and they got innocent people at the mall to come and be guinea innocent pigs. And they, and, they, and they put snails over their faces and they <laughs> told them they were filming an infomercial. And they got them to do the American infomercial thing where at the end they interviewed them and they were like, ah, oh, my skin feels so much tighter. I can feel it working already. Blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was just Penn and Teller. Well, maybe they were just a... inadvertently onto something. Yeah, well, this is it. Maybe they were. Maybe Penn and Teller discovered it before everyone else. They should sue. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a phenomenal thing, but I don't, I don't like it. I wouldn't be wanting to do it. Well, presumably it's a jar full of cream rather than actually putting snails on your face. Yes. So and it's only people 21 are willing pound. to put it's only twenty-one pound for a for a little, very little jar, small right. jar, mm. pounds. Yeah, so you don't have to put slimy snail gel on your face. Well, I'd be interested to see the science, and then I will pass judgment. So it's listed here as snail slime, or technically. Helix aspersa muller glycoconjugates, right. a complex mix of proteins, glycolic acids, and elastin that nature developed as a way to protect snail skin from damage of rocks, twigs, and other rough surfaces. Well, hmm. that does not make sense. I think, Nathan, that we should do an experiment on you. You should get some garden snails and rub them on one side <laughs> on of your face for a month. Yeah. And we'll see if there's any difference in your skin. How do you tone. stop them, though? How do you stop them from. You have to put it like a fence. You'd have to put it. No, no, we'll just no. You kill the snails and rub it on your face. But it's not the whole snail you need. It's just it's just the goo. Slime. 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 Oh, okay. It's the mucus. Well, we'll put a mask on one side of your face and stop. Yeah, yeah, a mask would do. Like a phantom of the opera mask. So this isn't new. No. No, it's not new. No, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. Oh, you're saying Pentella didn't invent it? It goes back to the ancient Greeks. So apparently, Hippocrates recommended crushed snails to relieve inflamed skin. The ancient Greeks recommended a lot of things, and you need to watch QI a couple of episodes to find out. This is the argument from antiquity. So the New Zealand Herald actually ran um, an article back in October on this, um, and the whole article is all about the products and the various products there are and how long they've been around, and then it ends with... um, dermatologist saying there's no respected scientific studies to prove it actually works right saying why that, didn't they start with that? well they <laughs> okay. did take that from the daily mail so never mind that's fine. all right so probably not then good not what good or bad i've just uh, had a look at a website that talks about snails and uh, one of the questions is, will snail slime make wrinkles escargot away? Oh. <laughs> Thank you for that, Craig. <laughs> yes, I did see that. I thought that was funny. Um, okay, are we done with snails? I think so. But I'm going to give it a go and I'll get, I'll get, you let, get back to you. Let us know how you get on yeah. with it. Yeah. Make you, sure we get it. before and after photos. You'll see yeah, it. With, you'll with you'll notice it. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. have lots of makeup on when you see me next. So the next article is Lobbyist Links Gay Marriage to Crime Rise in New Zealand. There's no name next to that, though. It's Garth McVicker. Who? Garth McVicker of the Sensible Sentencing Trust. I've heard of them. Yes. Yes, I've heard of him. So he is now saying that um, he's obviously uh, proving himself to be a a religious nutter that I always thought he was, but now it's obviously uh, true that... um, that he's saying that if we have gay marriage, then that will increase crime. Oh, it will Seems increase. Legit. It hasn't increased. It just will increase. It will increase crime. This is Even his... though, obviously, we've had the civil union since 2005. Yes. And the crime rate in New Zealand has actually gone down. And since how many other countries have 
legalized gay marriage and what are the what is the crime rate like in those countries? Hmm. But he's talking not about not many actually. No, no, no but you just civil unions, but what would yeah, but be he's the possible plausible um, connection civil. between gay marriage and and crime rates? So to put this in context, this is his submission to the um, marriage definition of marriage amendment bill that's currently going through. Um, and there's been 20,000 submissions, um, and his is that allowing same-sex marriage will be an, an erosion of basic morals and values, which leads to child abuse, domestic violence, and prison. Seems legit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue against that at all. It's, um... So, so uh, the Green MP, Kevin Haig, who sits on the Select Committee, said after reading the vast majority of his submissions, McVickers was the only one linking crime to gay marriage. Right. Which might be because of where he uh, where he sits. The sensible hmm. sen sentencing trust. Who, by the way, are not sensible. Aren't they? No. Aren't no. Good to know. Okay. Not crazy. They're not they're nubbers. They're they're <laughs> More sentences, aren't they? Aren't they more prison well, or something? Yeah, more prison and and sentences should mean what they say they yeah. are. And so, except for white collar criminals who right. are robbing the country dry, don't, they, you, don't, you don't want to put them in prison. Yeah. Not with all their Maoris. Right. I think it's probably there. Yeah. Yeah. Was it in English or was it in Maori? The the word Maoris, because there's no S in Maori language. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to play my. Um... <laughs> yeah, but if I, uh, no, but if I only... even say Mary's, I say I'm speaking in English. And if I say Mary, I'm speaking Mary. Isn't it easier just to say Mary all the time? Yeah, but if I then... do pull out. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. Moving on. So that's an idiot talking Copying about out. something he doesn't know anything about <laughs> without doing any research. And moving on to someone who does know what he's talking about who does do research. So, Colin <laughs> Kavanagh. Yeah, Cavahan, uh, I think. What did I say? Kavanagh. Oh, Cavahan. Cavahan. He is an associate professor at Otago, and he heads up the Centre for Law and Policy in Emerging Technologies. And um, Craig and I heard him speak at the New Zealand Skeptics meeting in Dunedin, and he was very interesting. He talked about um, uh, the patient's rights, you know, where, where the law sat in patients' rights to ask for unorthodox treatment from their um, doctors, mm. or even to refuse treatment. Um, but what's cool is that he has been given a new column in a free magazine that's handed out in Dunedin called DCEN. Um, and apparently, this free magazine, which comes out on Wednesdays, it's got 47,000 readers. Nice. How people live in Dunedin? 48,000. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a reasonably large city. There's probably, okay. I think, a couple of hundred thousand people in the um, And his first uh, column, which was out just recently, which, um, so it really annoys me, these magazines. It's a free magazine, but there's no online version. It's the same as the mm. Sunday Star Times and stuff. There's no way of seeing what he's Possibly because written. an online version is harder to, or it's easier to skip the ads. And pay right. less attention to the ads. Yeah, but you get more people reason. looking at it. Yeah, I suppose. Um, anyway, so his uh, first column is the big question: Who decides the best treatment for Neon? Um, now, Neon is um, the seven-year-old whose New Zealand mother is currently fighting against him being given radiotherapy for his cancer in the UK. Well, presumably, she, she wants vitamin C or actually no she, clinic or something. no she she does want to pursue unorthodox treatments but they're not actually it's not clear they're quack treatments okay so but, cutting edge rather than well, well she's concerned about his the, the future life prospects she's concerned about not becoming a grandmother she doesn't want him to be infertile and all this kind of stuff but you know he might be dead I was the, going to say that's yeah, not at all selfish. Yeah. And he's too young to donate. Right. Yeah, he's got a few more years before he's... Um, <laughs> anyway, so, it, uh, yeah, so he wrote this um, uh, this column essentially saying that the judge got it right. Um, you know, that, the, that she really... Doesn't have the right be, yeah, to decide he that treated. he shouldn't yeah. give him the best treatment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, without the treatment, he'll probably die. I mean, he won't have babies either, will he? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's worth mentioning that we are going to interview Colin. Yes. G 
Gavahan. Oh, Gavahan. Which is what you wrote down. Oh, oops. Sorry. Gavahan. Possibly next month, depending on how he feels. We were going to interview him today, but... He's not very well. He's not well, so that's fine. Yes. Because he's bound to listen to our podcast, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) If nothing else, to check how... Well, could we are at pronouncing people's names? <laughs> the um, population of Dunedin is about 126,000 people. That's a pretty good circulation then. 47, did you say? Yeah. 47,000. Mm. Whether they're using it for their fish and chips is... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So the last, well, two, two articles, a single topic. Um, recent articles, were they both in the New Zealand Herald? Mm. Anyone? Yes, they were. Um, vaccination articles. Who's reading those out? Craig? Oh, was I? I don't uh, know. There's no name next know. to it. Okay. I can do them. Two well, I can do the one. I don't know where the hmm. other one is. Craig um, had the link to the other one. So, um, a couple of... So, this is a kind of good news story for the New Zealand Herald, surprisingly, that um, some parents have put their hands up and said, we made a mistake not vaccinating our children um, because their son has just had tetanus um, and he almost died before Christmas and he's now on the mend. Um, But he has, I mean, he's had a really bad, really bad um, dose of it. Um, He's going to have to learn to walk again and feed himself again. Um, He's been really, really unwell. And so his parents, who were essentially anti-vaxxers, have said, oh my God, um, and gone out and vaccinated all their kids um, and said that they were... There's a great quote. Some like we were hippies, and we hadn't, you know, we we um, we believed the myths mm. instead of getting the facts, and we were wrong. And go out and get yourself um, vaccinated. And a nice quote here: People think it's just about me and my individual choice. Actually, that's not true. You're right. Herd Very immunity. Good. Thank you. He mentions that. He does actually specifically mention that about yes. other people who can get sick. Babies and unvaccinated people. So, the quote, yeah, hmm. it's not just about. Oh, me. through the people who aren't vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's people who can't can't be vaccinated, obviously, for various reasons, yeah. allergies or what have you. Or they're too young. Too and young babies who cancer haven't cancer. been haven't been vaccinated yet, mm. who can yeah. uh, contract. So that was great. Well done, New Zealand Herald for putting something, and they did a great little. Um, they put a whole load of bit about dispelling myths about the yeah. MMR vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic that that's up there. And some good quotes from the um, uh, University of Auckland's Immunisation Advisory Centre um, and some, you know, how to get advice. So now This is the sort of situation as well where it wouldn't hurt to write to New Zealand Herald with a nice letter saying, hey, that was a great well article. Done. Thanks for... Um, Using yeah. some science and doing Surely some research. Surely they'll just hear us mention it on our podcast. Yeah, because oh, they'll yeah, be yeah, listening. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Editors of New Zealand Herald totally listen to our podcast. Okay. But that's one of those we'll one that. of those things that you know everyone always writes in and complains when the newspaper gets it wrong. But mm. you should also be writing and congratulating them when they get something right. I okay, think so. No, that makes sense. Do what I say. <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> And a very good boss too, by the way. We'll, we'll review your letter that you sent next podcast. Yeah, we'll look at it. I didn't say I was we'll going to do it. We'll check it out for you. You guys are going to do it for me. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So then the related article to that, which was what, last week or the week before? Craig, do you have that one? Uh, yes. So this was an opinion piece by Shelley Bridgman uh, back in, uh, well, just actually last Thursday, hmm. uh, talking about how non-vaccinators believe they are intellectually superior. Um, at least that's her her conclusions from the comments that she has got on previous articles that she has written. Um, so essentially she's saying that people who don't vaccinate claim to have done lots of tons and tons of research into the subject and therefore they know better than um, than other people and so they, they they are intellectually superior. So Shelley's not saying that just then. She's saying that she thinks that they think that they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think she's making a good point, and she's actually saying it's actually a status symbol in that um, people people who decide not to vaccinate their children are actually saying, well, actually, I've got all these spare hours that I can spend researching the subject compared to you who are just uh, somebody who doesn't have that time and 
yeah. for wine better than yeah. beer. Even if the research that they've done is literally Googling and finding um, Jenny McCarthy crappy on sites. Google and, yeah. Yeah. and the AVN. Hmm. So that's that's interesting. There's, of course, a ton of comments in the Herald about this. It goes on for pages, something like 20 pages of comments. So obviously yeah. this is a um, subject that gets people um, fired up. Vaccination. Gosh, would never have thought. Mm. So, yeah, a couple of positive articles there. Well done, the New Zealand Herald. And now we are going to have everyone's favourite uh, segment. Susie rants about record scratch noise. <laughs> Auckland City Harbour News. What, what, what? <laughs> well, it's January. Okay. And the Ponsonby News people go on holiday in January. So I they see. don't release one in January. Um, so I was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then it just so <laughs> happens this week that the Auckland City Harbour News came uh, again in a little free newspaper. And the front page is a big picture oh, of God. Mark Wallbank, a paranormal activity investigator. And the big seeing is believing. So he is the leader of paranormal investigation group Haunted Auckland. Right. <laughs> and um, although he doesn't claim to have undeniable proof that supernatural beings exist, he's uh, spending his life trying to find them. Um, and he goes around looking at lots of houses and he just says they spend an awful lot of time sitting around in the dark. <laughs> so that sums up ghost hunting as far as I understand it. But that um, ghosts are made up of energy and so they use a range of gadgets including thermometers, electromagnetic field monitors, etc. to detect changes in the environment. Most investigations reveal nothing. <laughs> and Mr. Wallbank admits the group spends a good portion of its time sitting in the dark just waiting. Wow. But they but have the just found a haunted family house in Newlyn which is being haunted by the presence of Jonathan Lockley, a boy who died of illness in the house during the 1960s. Right. They managed to get him to answer their questions and by tapping and got quite a lot of information out of him. They should have just used a Ouija board. We got way more information a lot quicker than... Um, Mr. Warbank says, tapping. I'm quite a sceptic myself and I was blown away by the whole thing. Oh, I'm sure he is. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think he's a... He works in the glass industry or something. Okay. He says he doesn't get paid for his ghost hunting. <laughs> no, because okay. he doesn't find any. That's right. Most, <laughs> most investigations do not nothing. Uh, yeah. And he also says that some of the experiences that they investigate can be put down to people suffering from mental illness. <laughs> he doesn't say the okay. ghost hunters or the... <laughs> right. It's um, a bit of a jump there, but never mind. Yeah. And then on page... So that's page one. And then page two... Page two. Page wow. two has got um, Karina Abadia, who, um, oh no, sorry. Karina Abadia, who's a naturopath who practices from her Mount Eden home. And she starts her consultations with a live blood analysis. Ugh, naturopaths. Better than a dead blood they? analysis, Ugh. though. Naturopaths. Yeah, no, naturopaths. Ugh. Don't just hate naturopaths, Chrissy. I love them. Well, <laughs> I love one. <laughs> so, well, Chrissy, you can tell us, presumably, about live blood analysis. No? Well, it's better than dead blood analysis. That would be my comment. What's dead blood? Well, exactly. Well, I mean, blood would be a live scab, blood. I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> scab analysis. I haven't, okay. I haven't read the article. That could but... be a thing. I should look and see if there's a Mansi for. So, live blood, blood is analysis. She a, is she a phlebotomist? Phlebotomist. No, she's not. She's a naturopath. Um, she. In live blood analysis, you take somebody's blood and you look at it under a microscope, and um, from that you can diagnose a range of diseases. I guess somebody in a hospital could, like a hematologist, mm -hmm. um, but these guys are not trained. Um, there's no, there's no validity, um, and what they usually do is just uh, say, "This is what you've got," and take my dietary supplements, which is basically what she yeah. does. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, she's claiming she's claiming to be able to pinpoint nutritional deficiencies, inflammation, allergies, and dehydration by analysing a drop yeah. of blood. Yeah, a drop of blood. Yeah, mm. under wow. the microscope, she has got no idea what she's looking at. Is my no. opinion. 
Hmm. I believe she. <laughs> no, she I have no idea it. what she's looking at. Because she's only about ten. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so we had ghost hunters on page one and um, live build analysis on page two, and frankly, I couldn't go any further than that. I'm going to now use no. it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting though, if you look at the back page of that, oh I've yes, noticed, yeah, the um, yeah. the big huge one page ad that someone's put in. Yeah. About, about charter schools. Charter schools. schools. Well, yes. that's been put in by the PPTA. Yeah. PPTA, thank you. Yes. Um, so there is submissions at the moment for yeah, charter schools. Yeah, it closes on Monday though, I think. Oh, does it? Oh, never mind then. It'll be too late by well, time. Well, Nathan, you, get you just write that letter before you write the one to the New Zealand Herald. Yep, that's right. I tried submissioning something once. It was, I got sent back because I didn't do it properly. They were like, "This doesn't make this doesn't make any sense, or this isn't relevant to the." <laughs> so I, I don't no idea. So Let's I gave try up. harder. Yeah. So that was Susie Rance, and now we have an interview quite likely hopefully with david vert yep who is the author of first catch your wicker that we in uh, well, i said we interviewed susie and craig interviewed at the new zealand skeptics conference yeah, we chatted last with him. year he was very interesting he gave a great Indeed. talk about um kind of food fads and things and <coughs> it was a really interesting chat hmm. put that in now he was interesting so um, Craig and I are here at the end of the um, NZ Skeptics Conference uh, at the University of Otago, and we are talking to David Vert, who is an anthropologist um, who works with the Department of Conservation. And he gave us a fantastic talk about um, essentially a century of New Zealand food fads. So welcome, David. and. Thank you for your fantastic talk. Oh, thank you very much. It was lots of fun. <laughs> it was great fun. Um, so I think the bit that I enjoyed the most, um, as somebody who's interested in alternative health and quacks, we'll say in inverted commas, um, was your telling us about Dr. Ulrich Williams. Um, so can you tell our listeners a little bit about him? He's an incredibly influential part of the history of sort of alternative medicine and alternative thought uh, in New Zealand. He, he comes to prominence as lots of these people did during the 1930s Great Depression when all the rules were thrown out the window and people were looking for new explanations for everything. Mm -hmm. Ulrich Williams has started off as a traditionally trained GP in Whanganui and at some point um, in the 1930s he has, it may have been slightly earlier actually, he has, he has a revelation, a sort of a, um, a road to Damascus um, personal conversation with God who tells him that um, the medicine that he's practicing in fact is just treating symptoms and what he's got to do is he's got to turn this into a holistic practice and he 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 writes a series of books which sell thousands of copies in New Zealand called Healthy Living and they contain all sorts of things they contain his philosophy on how human beings are poisoning themselves with, with um, processed foods um, it, it tells his theories of disease. Um, the example I used today, of course, was, was polio, which mm. was prevalent in the in, in the in the 1920s and 30s. And his essentially his belief was it was a it was a vitamin deficiency aggravated by drinking brightly coloured sweet drinks during summer. Um, and but only during summer. Uh, yes, well, that's when the polio outbreaks tended to happen. So it was a nice connection that, that kids ate junk food more in mm -hmm. summer, and that, that was the cause of, of polio. Now, that belief in itself doesn't, is, is, is um, it just sounds silly, but the problem was is that he was completely opposed to vaccination, mm. and he was a, a very, very charismatic person. He was still practicing as a doctor. Um, he was, in fact, struck off by the British Medical Association, and coincidentally, I think he was on, he was um, awarded an honorary doctorate on the same day from some University of Naturopathy in, in the US. Um, so, what sort of time was this? Because so he this was practicing in New Zealand. Well, yes, he was. Um, he'd actually served in the New Zealand Armed Forces during this, the First World War. At the end, he was okay. a doctor. Um, working in, in the New Zealand Medical Corps, mm -hmm. I think, uh, probably in a hospital somewhere in, in England. I don't actually have a great deal of detail on that. And he'd been practicing just as an ordinary doctor. I mean, he was a... He was a, in, 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 Wanganui, in Wanganui, yes, when he'd come back. Um, he was a renowned sportsman. I mean, he, mm -hmm. was, he was very good at various sports. There's wonderful accounts of him playing golf, where he goes through a full... Um, calisthenics exercise between each shot in the middle and he's a very tall man and I, I have this vision of this, this person 
um, sort of going through his exercise regime before every, every shot that he plays. Mm. But he he um, he influences lots and lots of parents, in, mm. especially in the Wanganui area, but also through his healthy living books, um, to not vaccinate. And what happens, and, and I, I was quoting this morning from a series of reports by the Medical Officer of Health of the area, saying that, in fact, diphtheria was becoming more common in the Wanganui area as a result of his anti-vaccination um, ideas and similarly with polio. Yeah. Um, so what was the timing of the polio vaccine? What was the invention? So was he actually opposed to a, a specific polio vaccine? It was whatever one was common at the time. I mean, right. I, as, as an anthropologist, I'm actually more interested in the sort of the human reactions rather than the detail. But I'm, it, the detail's all there. I just don't have it in sure. my head at the yeah. moment, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, and this, the influence that he has is actually quite long. There's still mm. websites that sell his book. Um, he's still celebrated as a great New Zealand mm. by people who... Um, and his book was that. available overseas then. That's presumably why he was getting award or getting doctorates Yes, he was. Yes, uh, it America must have been. It's, there's, a, there's a whole... In the 30s and right up into the 40s, there's a whole sort of world circuit of these alternative mm. um, healers and belief system... Um, mm promoters mm. and well, anything that was imported from overseas is really uh, important very very yeah. exciting yes yeah. and 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 um, it seems to be a two-way thing I mean for example all the recipes in healthy living in fact come from an English publication mm. uh, and the recipes aren't so too he bad. Just... well no I think I think it must have been done with agreement because okay. he he um, he was never sued for plagiarism. No, no. I mean, I think it's probably, I think it's probably done on some sort of official arrangement with this, with this particular English magazine, which was a similar um, sort of, you know, natural living um, publication. Mm. Yes, yes, he was. Um, and so I've got a quote from one of his, uh, one of the things that you said: "There is not one single item of food that is neither deficient, denatured, or doped," and that's quite. It absolutely is. I mean, he okay. he. Um, I mean, he's he's not. I mean, he's not a complete vegetarian, for, mm. for example. I mean, there's meat and fish in the diets that he promotes. Not a huge amount, um, but it's anything that has has had any processing at all mm. is immediately mm. distrusted. Um, white rice, white flour, white sugar, um, corn flour. Iodized salt. Um, there's, a, there's an enormous list of these things. Right. That's a naturalistic fallacy. I'm not sure, actually. That's an, that's an interesting mm. one. Um, and so, I mean, largely, what he's encouraging people to do is to is to eat largely sort of fresh mm. food. And I, I was which isn't the, a bad recommendation. Absolutely, but, yeah. no. I mean, I but think he's, but he's saying that anything that's natural must be good for you. Anything that's processed is necessarily bad. Right, and that yeah. includes vaccination. Sure. Um, the, I mean, the thing about these people is that some of their ideas might be really nutty, and his are dangerously nutty, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but in fact, the diets that they're promoting are not bad in a country that suffers vast, vast sort of rates of bowel cancer from our normal diet and mm. stuff like that. Mm. And uh, there's the three women that I talked about this morning that I, had, I interviewed, or I knew, what I've, known, I've known two of them, and the third one I interviewed, um, her daughter, who were followers of Ulrich Williams, all of them lived into their 90s, all of mm. them were relatively healthy, one was suffered from dementia at the end but she was well into her late mm. 90s by then, but two of them had suffered from goiter mm. as a result of his opposition to the use of, of iodine additives mm. and salt, which in New Zealand is just a chemical necessity that people in fact do consume yeah. iodine in, so, in some form or another. Mm. Hmm. It was okay. interesting to hear you um, talk about your, the copy of his book that you have. Tell, tell us a bit about, about that. Well, in fact, the, the book came from a local um, church sort of um, op shop. <laughs> and it's virtually every page is written on, every, every sort of the fly leaves and things. And there's these wonderful injunctions that have been copied down by the original owner. There's one I particularly liked, which was um, how that you shouldn't feed meat to children because it coarsens them and leads to coarse behaviour. Um, As I made the comment this morning, this is straight out of Oliver. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of things. There's one was an apple diet um, sort of supplement that she's copied down. I'm presuming it's a she. It could be a male. In fact, there's no, there's no name on it. Um, in fact, there's just initials. Um, but because it's somebody, because it's normally women who are doing the cooking in the 30s mm. and 40s, I'm just assuming that that's, that's who it mm. is. Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's only certain sorts of apples. I think stermas are the ones that are recommended for this cure. Um, 
the uh, comments on the recipes. I mean, some of them, there's one that says not much light, um, which is essentially, I think it's vegetables flavoured with marmite or something. You can sort of see wow. why. And in one of them, I think there's a suggestion that sort of tomatoes might be a better addition. So the, the recipes have all been, a lot of them have been used. Mm. Mm. And some of them aren't bad. I mean, I think I read out a salad one this morning, which mm. sounds quite like sort of... Um, you know, the sort of slightly more upmarket salad that you would get in a, you know, a reasonably healthy calf these days. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting that they that even back then there was this sort of promotion of this, uh, you know, essentially a healthy diet, though as you say, with some important deficiencies. Yes, I mean, it's um, the, there are. Um, I mean, there are a di there are diets. There are there are sort of recommended things later on that don't have the the rest of the ideology attached but in mm. this early period earlier period in the in the in the 20s and 30s and in fact going back to the suffragettes and the women's temperance union stuff in the late 19th century there's a there's an entire belief system that goes with it mm. uh, which is probably in a i mean an amazingly conservative society like new zealand which it was um up until the 1930s as the first sort of breaks in the, in the sort of fairly monolithic um, front that's presented. Um, I mean, you probably had to be a fairly stalwart person to go against what was seen as the norm and the sort of meat and two veg mm. and lots of baking, um, mm. you know, cuisine that was was New Zealand at that stage. Yeah. Mm. So, of all the um, the fads uh, that you've come across in all your um, research. Uh, are there any real kind of really quirky New Zealand ones that you can tell us about? Um, no, well, we have a tendency to import other people's ideas. Okay. Um, there's none I can think of offhand. I mean, there's some crazy ones that we've imported from elsewhere. Um, but largely, I mean, Ulrich Williams is interesting because I think a lot of his stuff, in fact, is generated out of his own head. Mm. That's interesting that he's a trained doctor, so, I mean, he sort of knows the language to use. But most of them, in fact, we import really, you know, mm. really made. Um, yeah, and continue to import. And, can, and absolutely, in fact, <laughs> um, I mean, in the newspaper, I was going to, when I was originally, I was going to sort of do the crazy mm -hmm. diets, um, and there was a, a raw food restaurant that just opened in Kingsland, which was in the Herald um, yeah. Viva supplement, I think. Um, in the front page, there was a thing on um, worries about teenage women dieting using sort of vomiting and um, you know all the, all the sort mm. of the the, the um, the, the bad behaviours associated with, with crazy weight loss ideas, including yeah. using food supplements, which I find an interesting idea, um, which I presume is the things they use as bulking agents for people with um, you know, digestive problems, which are, right. there's no food value in them, but they right. presume you they make, make you feel full. full. Right. Wow. I think the other um, comment that really struck me from your talk was the fact that um, for the first time ever in history, uh, the uber-rich are really skinny and the poor oh, are really fat. fat that we've mm. completely it is, it's, it's, changed it's around. It's really unusual. Um, yeah. it, 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 the problem, I'm not problem, the, the circumstances in the, in the 19th and early 20th centuries was that there was a hell of a lot of physical effort went into day-to-day -day life. There's an mm. interesting thing I don't know, it was on some years ago, it was a BBC I think, or one of the British TV companies called 1940s House. And it was a group of people living as they would have lived in London during the Second yeah. World War. Yeah. And the calorific intake with fats and things is enormously much higher than any modern family, but they all lost weight mm -hmm. because with no washing machine, dishwashers, without any of the normal conveniences and with lots of having to walk everywhere. Mm. Um, I mean, the problem largely is, is that we, we, can, we can now eat more without actually having to do anything, do anything. much to burn them off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that that photograph of the Maori soldiers from 1915. There's a, a bathing party one, which I couldn't actually find a decent copy of, and there's about 200 of them, and they're all incredibly lean men. I mean, there's not right. a there's not a tummy in the entire lot. Whereas mm. with Dick Seddon and the cabinet sitting on that <laughs> other photograph, we have some fairly rotund gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. and not much has changed in Parliament today. Well, there's a few still left, actually. I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not not really of the shape where I can comment so you know, <laughs> intimately on this um, yeah it is interesting I mean I find that um, I mean it, it was the um, the Duchess of Windsor who famously said no one can be too rich or too thin mm. and it's interesting I mean her behaviour I mean she was the first celebrity with no actual reason for being so mm. seems to have become the norm 
um, you know, where there's these extremely thin, famous yeah. people. So I'm a microbiologist, and uh, one of the diseases that I, I'm very interested in is tuberculosis. Uh-huh. And actually, um, consumption was, you know, one of the symptoms of consumption uh, was weight loss um, and very pale pallor. And, and because a lot of the people who were consumptives were essentially career consumptives who were mm. writers, because it was mm. it was sort of considered that they made you really... Uh, intelligent and you know you were beautiful and these people were were um, writing about this disease mm. at that time it wasn't known that it was an infectious disease it was thought right. to be hereditary uh-huh. and so I've heard talk that actually this sort of um, the thinness thing came in with you with the positive hype that these guys oh, and right. gals yes. wrote about in all their books because they were so writers and they were sort of c- c- coughing the blood into the, into yeah, the daffodil yeah. coloured gloves yes, yeah. but they were they were considered you know they were writing about themselves in this kind of you know well, that's um, really interesting because the, the Murray soldier photograph is interesting these guys are largely rural men who've come in because basically Murray weren't an urban weren't, mm-hmm. there wasn't a great urban population at that time they sailed um, off to the war, and by the time they got to Sydney, a large number of their, off- their European officers had to be let off because they'd caught tuberculosis from the men. Mm, right. Um, and so I'm just wondering whether that thinness possibly is, is, you know, <laughs> is, is related not so much to effort and exercise, but it's not it's tuberculosis. Yes, well, it's, it's a possibility. Yeah, um, no, that's quite... Quite interesting. I think I've just been I've been teaching about it, so I've been learning a lot about the context of um, this consumptive era, where it was seen as very, uh, it was really quite chic to be right. to have TB, mm. but they didn't know. And then in the eighteen eighties, when it was discovered, it was a bacterium, and suddenly it's an infectious disease. Now we're now it's a real stigma to have TB. Right, it's, um, it's a so disease of poverty. And, yeah, 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 mm. yeah. How interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think to finish off, what's the Best recipe you've ever seen in any of your finds, your box of whatever it was that came from that ninety-odd-year-old oh, lady. The best recipes. Oh, um, there's a really there's a there's some there's some really interesting ones using New Zealand ingredients. There's an extraordinary, um, you know, sort of potted meat made with with mutton birds, which I've tried, mm. which is actually provided you extract a fair bit of the salt as part mm. of the preparation, which is a um, amazingly powerful and extraordinary flavour for, for a country that tended to eat quite bland food. Mm. Um, there's the, the most creative recipes are cakes in New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, there are amazing cakes where, I mean, there's just layer after layer of different colours and ingredients right. and things. Um, and that was the area of competitive cooking. I mean, it's not mm. it's not a modern. Um, thing where you're dealing with with the savoury ingredients in a clever and um, imaginative way, mm. you, those ones are being cooked really simply, and then you're adding flavour later with sauces and chutneys and pickles and things, right. which right. is also a product of the large joint of meat. Where you've got to have the cold stuff. So there's a lot of quite imaginative chutneys and pickles. There's a wonderful um, cookbook put out by Katie um, Katie Kindergarten or something of of sort of fruit preserves, which is got um, some really Stunningly good recipes in it. Um, there's there's some amazing peach recipes for jams and sauces and wine mm-hmm. from the 19th century when New Zealand had huge rows of peach trees before curly leaf arrived, oh. um, and a lot of them are quite imaginative mm. and, and interesting. Um, but I have to say, amongst um, I, I, t- I started when I first started doing this research, I started cooking out of these books, and finally my son said, "Can we eat modern food again?" <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I put on about fifteen kgs from just sort of vast amounts of of, of, of sort of suets. And All things. in the name of science. Though. Absolutely, I was doing it so you didn't have to. <laughs> Um, and largely, in fact, my cooking is my own personal cooking, and I've done all the cooking at home for years because mm-hmm. my wife was working much later than I ever was. Um, tends to be tends to be modern, and you know, mm-hmm. the meat meat is the flavouring as opposed to an ingredient. So maybe there wouldn't be much call for a cookbook that was. Uh um, made up of the best recipes that you found. <laughs> well, in fact, I'd, I'd, I'd invite you and anyone else who's listening to this to go and have a look at um, Edmund's classic recipes, right. mm. which lists the things that New Zealanders find most attractive, mm. and you'll be hard pressed. 
In fact, they've got all the letters that were written in about different things, and for salads, they couldn't find a single supporter. <laughs> it reminds me of that um, the Homer Simpson song, you know, you don't win friends with salads. <laughs> <laughs> as a, as a non-New Zealander, it was wonderful to hear the talk about the Edmunds. So I married a Kiwi, and uh, as one of our wedding presents, somebody gave us the Edmunds book, and that's the first I'd ever heard yeah. of it. But actually... I bake from it all the time. The yes. cakes are fantastic. Yes, I, I still it's, use it for yeah. things occasionally. You know, it's, but I must say, I haven't done anything other than the cakes. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 yes, I, yeah, I think it's probably a wise move. <laughs> okay, so to finish off, what's the vilest recipe you've ever come across? The vilest recipe is in the New Zealand Health Department's um, Healthy Living, published in 1940, which contains a recipe for boiled liver and macaroni, <laughs> which... What, are, they the only, thinking about. are they the only two ingredients? Yes. Oh. Well, there's, I think... Uh, Maybe throw some onions in Perhaps as well. there's an onion or two. <laughs> I can't remember. But the whole idea of pasta and liver together it just doesn't work <laughs> in any level. Flavour, texture, mm. anything. And, even, and boiled liver. Yes. <laughs> At least fry it. <laughs> Saute it with some nice onions. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to hear your talk. Mm. And, um, yeah, we will, maybe won't be trying the liver and macaroni. Fine, it was lots of fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Wow, that was interesting. Thank you, David. <laughs> um, and we have our quote for the day. Oh, wow, Ray, that's you ready? come up quickly. You ready? You ready? Shorter episodes, we did say. <laughs> Let us know what you think, by the way. Shorter episodes, or would you prefer the way we used to do it? We'll have to see whether it actually comes out shorter in the end. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it will. Right. Okay, the quote for today comes from no I'll tell you that afterwards <laughs> the brightest flashes in the world of thought are incomplete until they have pre been proven to have their counterparts in the world of fact that was by John Tyndall who was a physicist from 1820 to 1993 wow that's a very nice quote mm. not that he was a physicist for that whole time <laughs> not, not yet, but well, part of the time he was a physicist thank you Craig well done mm. and today's word of the day is adamatism, adamitism, adamitism, nakedness for religious reasons? <laughs> Sounds perfectly I logical they to me. To do that. Who? Religious people. I mean, they tend to get very covered up. Well, it depends on what sort of religion. Uh, Wicca, for example, uh, not a nudity in Wicca. Right. And I don't think you're walking down or the least, street naked. At least the the documentaries that I've seen. <laughs> 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 documentaries. The web pages Nathan doesn't about Wicca. <laughs> Uh, and that's it for this episode of the cast. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to send us a message or feedback of any sort, check out the Contact Us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. Yeah.